Good morning, everyone. This morning, we move to the New Testament to Luke chapter 1. For those who initially were going through the Bible reading plan with us, we alternate between Old and New Testament books. And we just came from Exodus. But um, just so that we are not in the Old Testament for, say, a two-year period, we alternate back and forth between Old and New. And now we turn to the Gospel of Luke. So where are we in the history of God's people when we come to the book of Luke? Well, there was a long season where not only after Israel got deported in around 500 BC under the King Nebuchadnezzar who from of Babylon who overtook Jerusalem and led God's people back to Babylon, the Israel temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and God's people lost their country. Uh, and it was largely due to their disobedience to following God that God allowed them to be taken over by Nebuchadnezzar. So after spending 70 years in, in Babylon, they get to return to Jerusalem under Nehemiah and Ezra, who rebuilt the wall and then the temple of God in Jerusalem. And uh, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar was no longer in command. Babylon was no longer the rule, uh, the world leader, and other kings gave favor to Israel to return to rebuild their temple. But they no longer had their own country. Uh, they didn't. They weren't governing themselves. And in this time, the Roman Empire is now in charge of the land, and they give the Jews permission to worship God and to worship God at their temple, but they're they're not in control of the land. Um, they are subjects of the Roman Empire. And now we have this writing from Luke. So now where did Luke come from? Well, Luke is a later follower uh, of Christianity that was an accomplice of the Apostle Paul. Uh, so you'll find Luke highly connected to the Apostle Paul. You might recall that neither Paul nor Luke, uh, we don't have a record of them seeing Jesus. Uh, they came along later. They may have been alive at the time that Jesus died on the cross. But Paul, as an example, was a Jew following Judaism, and then God transformed his life and Paul, Luke was a Gentile, so he wasn't. He's one of the very few uh, authors. I think maybe even the only one that was a Gentile writer, meaning a non-Jew. He did not grow up with Jewish roots. He grew up like many of us, not following Judaism. But then later, Luke finds out about Christianity and becomes a believer, and he is closely associated with Paul, who also wasn't one of the original twelve. Luke was not one of the original twelve. And later became a follower. <clears throat> and Luke is known as a physician. He's uh, noted that in the scriptures that he was a physician. And also his writing is, you know, very well educated. He writes very well. And so later in Luke's life, he has discovered much about the life of Jesus. And he's inspired by God to write an account of Jesus's life. And he begins with the birth narrative of Jesus and gives one of the most thorough birth narratives of Jesus. I have to kind of laugh at my my and our challenge this morning because, you know, besides uh, Psalm 119, which if you want to call that one 
one book or you know one chapter that's a really long chapter we'll get to eventually but this is a very long chapter of scripture i think i just looked at it earlier was it 70 80 80 verses so lord have mercy on me teaching through 80 verses while while i teach one chapter a day now in this writing of luke he mentions someone named theophilus who was an intended audience of the letter. We don't know exactly who Theophilus was. He may have been someone in leadership in Rome, some kind of leader that had come to Jesus but wanted to know more about him, who had already been taught about Jesus. But now Luke is feeling the need to write a more accurate account for him. But it it very much appears that Luke knew that this would be a circular writing, meaning that it wasn't just going to be for Theophilus, but that others would find out about Jesus through Luke's writing. So with that as a backdrop, let's begin. And as much as many have undertaken to compile an account of things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. Now, Luke was one of the later writings. We believe both Matthew and Mark were written the Gospels, that is. So there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Matthew was one of the eyewitnesses. John was one of the eyewitnesses. It's unlikely that John's writing was written at this moment in history, but Matthew and Mark were written and likely were circulated and people were beginning to find out about those writings. And, you know, there were obviously lots of eyewitnesses, not only the apostles, but, you know, 500 who seen Jesus rise from the dead. And that's partly what Luke is referring to is that you've learned and heard, but I have now done a thorough investigation and I'm going to write an account, an orderly account, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So Theophilus had been some taught some things from some people, but Luke wanted him to know the exact truth. And the word of God is true. Luke's account is true. And praise God that we have all these wonderful inspired records of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So, Now he's undertaking his account. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias from the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Now, uh, Aaron, if you've been going with us recently through the book of Exodus, you'd know that he was, you know, Moses' right-hand man and uh, a priest who uh, helped Moses in the Passover and ultimately took on the roles of serving at the tabernacle. And uh, Zechariah was a priest and his wife even came from the family line of Aaron and her his wife's name was Elizabeth. <clears throat> Something I learned this morning from Vernon McGee as I do a little bit of study before I you know teach to you is Zechariah means uh, remembering Jehovah and Elizabeth means oath of God. And when you put those two names together, you know, God remembers his oath. It's really interesting to think about that. And, you know, his oath was that that he was going to bless Abraham's family. And through Abraham's family, he was going to multiply them as far as the skies, 
stars in the sky, that he would uh, bless Abraham's family and that Abraham's family would be a blessing to the nations. And uh, that's that's the oath that we're still seeing unveiled. And now the blessing that was on Abraham is now on his church, and God is still multiplying his family through the church now who've come to faith in Jesus. So that's still continuing to this day. Uh, Israel still has God's blessing upon them, but they're actually under a curse and under the penalty of disobeying and not coming to faith in Jesus. But those of Israel who have come to receive their Messiah um, get that blessing too of having Jesus be their Messiah. But even those who rejected Jesus, um, Jews who have not come to faith in him, God still has a plan for them, but it's going to endure much hardship uh, until they ultimately embrace Jesus as Lord. So we continue. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So they were Jews, and they were following the Old Covenant. Now remember, even though we are in the New Testament, we are not yet in the New Covenant. What I mean by that is uh, Luke is writing about a time before the death and resurrection of Jesus, before the onset of the church. So we're hearing about a time in history where people are still living under the Old Testament law as Jews. Uh, Jesus isn't even born yet. So uh, this is in the New Testament, but we are not in the church age yet. So they're both, they're both Zechariah and Elizabeth Jews following honorably, um, the law of God from the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he, this is Zechariah now, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, what appears to be happening here is there are lots of priests, Zechariah is one of them, and different um, sections of the priesthood would get to serve the temple at different seasons of the year. They would alternate who would be serving at the temple throughout the year. And his uh, division of priests, it was their season to serve, and now it appears that they they chose by lot, which may, may mean, you know, picking up sticks and they had different lengths. And then based on, you'd pick up a stick and not know what its length was. And after you'd pick up that stick, uh, if yours was actually not sure if it was the longest or the shortest or something to that effect, then now Zachariah, his division did that random way of seeing who would specifically get to go into the temple. Now, Zechariah was not the high priest. For It's kind of fitting that we were just in Exodus. So Zechariah would get to serve in the holy place of the temple. Now, this is not the tabernacle. Now we're in Jerusalem, and they have the physical building temple to, to model after the tent structure tabernacle that was in the desert. And Zechariah, because he was chosen by lot, would get to enter into the holy place to do the things that were needed by the priest, like burning incense and things of that nature in the holy place of God, but not the most holy place. So he was chosen to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And there was an altar of incense. And you might remember the altar of incense 
was right before the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, and the Ark of the Covenant was right on the other side of that veil. So he was as close to the presence of God as he could be, burning incense at that altar of incense. And the whole multitude of the people, verse 10, were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. Now that's interesting. This might be a, you know, the Jews did a lot of things that they added to the law. Uh, I'm not seeing a specific incense offering, at least with that language in the Old Testament. But by this time, the Jews are having an hour of incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, that's quite remarkable, right? I mean, this is not a, a normal, common, everyday thing. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So the angel was in the holy place, right by that incense altar. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. And that seems to be the natural reaction of anyone who encounters an angel, is that initially it startles them and they have fear. But also, the standard like response in order to give people peace about the angel's presence is what it says next. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. And you know, angels are serving God uh, when they're you know, a good angel. And, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, Do not be afraid. And you know what? When you have faith in Jesus, you do not have to be afraid. I think when we see him one day, we're going to want to get on our knees and there's going to be a reverence and an awe and even a godly fear that we'll have. But I believe for those who believe in Jesus, you'll hear something to that. Do not be afraid. Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. So we're already going to see two miracles very early in this. I mean, many miracles, really, because how is it that Zechariah got chosen by Lot to go into the holy place? Well, I'd say God knew what he was doing, and he wanted Zechariah to be the one in there to see that angel. Uh, and, and now we're seeing that his, he's going to have the miracle of birth uh, at, the, at his wife's old age, in his old age. And she will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So he's already told him what name he's going to have to give this child. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, for those of you who may not be aware, this is not going to be John the Apostle. This is going to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to be a cousin of Jesus. Jesus is not even born, and John the Baptist is not yet born. We're we're hearing about that right now. Um, But anyways, those are two distinct people, John the Baptist and the Apostle John. Uh, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. How special is that, that God's going to, set this man apart, John the Baptist, to be used by God. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So. Zechariah, or excuse me, John the Baptist is coming to be a forerunner to prepare the way for people to come to Jesus. Now, there are a couple of passages in the Old Testament from the book of Malachi 
that refer to this baby, John the Baptist, who was going to be born. And uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, see, now they were seeking the coming of the Lord in the days of Jesus because it was promised that there would be a baby who would be born from the family line of David, from the city of Bethlehem, the Messiah, and that he would come. And John is coming to prepare the way for that birth of Jesus. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, and Jesus is going to usher in the new covenant that was promised by Jeremiah. And it hasn't come yet, but it's coming. Now it's come to us today. But in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So John the Baptist is coming to prepare the way of Jesus to come. And in the same book, Malachi 4, 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So God is preparing for Jesus to come, and he's sending John the Baptist in the spirit of the power of Elijah to prepare people for Jesus. And John's role is going to be to ask the Jewish people to repent, and Jesus is going to come on the heels of that, and ultimately we'll see get baptized by John the Baptist and begin his ministry. But that's not going to happen for about 30 years because John's just going to be a baby and Jesus too. They're going to be born from their mother's womb miraculously, but they're going to have to grow up before they begin their ministries. Verse 18, excuse me, Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? And as you'll see, Zechariah is like us and, you know, he's going to be disciplined a little bit for this because, you know, an angel's right before him right now. But he's like, probably like, how is this going to happen? You know, Elizabeth's old. We've been barren. We haven't had children. Anyways, let's go on. For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel said, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. What an amazing thing to hear that, to hear this angel say, I get to stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. This is part of the good news because Jesus is coming to bear our sins and to have victory over sin. And John's going to prepare the way. Hallelujah. The good news is that you can be forgiven of your sin through Jesus. That's the gospel. He died for our sin. He rose from the dead. And it is good news that Jesus Christ came. And John's part of that. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So a little discipline of God and that Zechariah didn't immediately believe, but I also think this is going to be used by God. He's going to come out of this temple and he's not going to be able to speak. And uh, it, it's going to be, you know, eventually he's going to speak again at the birth of his son. And, and you know, I think that's just going to magnify this entire situation before all the people. Verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering at his delay in the temple. He was in there for a while. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. What an amazing thing that must have been to see him come out, not able to speak, trying to communicate to the people what happened. Imagine trying to do that. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. 
And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, hallelujah, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. And she is just overjoyed, praising God. I don't know what, maybe she just wanted to make sure she was taking care of herself too and nothing would happen with this child, but she remained in seclusion and uh, just the glory that she felt in being pregnant. Wow, hallelujah, after all the years of waiting and now to have it happen in such a miraculous way. Verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. This makes me think of like, you know, we're in a new stage of this of this story. And now later Gabriel's going to another woman. Uh, well, he came to Zachariah, the man, but now he's going to come to a woman and listen to what happens. He's coming to, a, he's going to Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. See, so David is from the family line of Joseph is from the family line of David. And the virgin's name was Mary we actually think Mary's family line came through David too. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And of course, what's going to happen, right? She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. But what did the angel say to her in her perplexity and probably fear? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What a beautiful thing. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, the one true God who saves. That's what his name means, by the way. He will be great, great and will be called the Son of the Most High. <laughs> he is going to be the Son of the Most High God, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. See, it was promised that there would be a baby to be born that would come from the family line of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. That's Israel, right? Jacob's name got changed to Israel. And his kingdom will have no end. And there's several places where this is mentioned in the Old Testament. I'm going to take you to one of them from 2 Samuel. And this is talking about David and Solomon. Solomon was David's son, but he's David, He's being told that he's not going to build the temple. Solomon's going to build a temple, but Solomon was David's son. Anyways, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. This is second Samuel seven. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him. That's Solomon, by the way. And as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, because Saul had the presence of God, Saul, the king, working with him, but but God took that from him. Your house, David's house, and your kingdom, David, and then ultimately Solomon, shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So this was a prophecy from God that David his family is going to have a king on the throne forever, and it will have no end. And and that's coming through Ju through Jesus because Jesus is the family line from David. All right, so 
When the angel gets done speaking in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She's, she's never been with a man. She's betrothed, but she's been a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. This is going to be a virgin birth. Hallelujah. And that's prophesied in the book of Isaiah that there will be a, a virgin with child. And praise God that all of this comes true. If you don't know these things, I want you to know that there are so many Old Testament things that were written, you know, 600, 700,000 years earlier, you know, that then came true in the New Testament because God, he's detailed and he can make things come true that he wants to come through. And he and he told us it would happen and then these things happened. Hallelujah. And the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. Now verse 36, and behold, even your relative is Elizabeth, who has conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. And that had to be quite an affirming thing. Really? Elizabeth's pregnant? It's, you know, like to hear that would help Mary believe maybe this really is going to happen with me, that there's going to be a child in my room because I know Elizabeth's old and she's been trying to have kids her whole life. And if she's pregnant, well, this could be true of me too. So I think this was a very encouraging word for Mary. For nothing will be impossible with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And what what a godly thing to say. You know, Mary's like, you know what? I just want to serve my Lord. I am a I'm a I'm a bond slave to the Lord, and may this all happen according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So now at this time, you know what would Mary want to do? Go go see Elizabeth. Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Ju- Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was just thinking, and I've never really thought of this before, that, you know, he entered the house of Zechariah. If he was there, it, it, nothing's even said. <laughs> he couldn't speak. So, you know, he would have probably just pointed there, Elizabeth's over there. Well, anyways, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it, has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. So now both of these women pregnant and their babies are stirring in their wombs. And this was a sign to Elizabeth. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And it does appear, you know, back in verse 38, when Mary said, may it be done to me according to your word, that Mary just had simple faith and trusted God. And Elizabeth is recognizing that, you know, Mary's blessed not only with the baby, but blessed with faith that all this would happen. And this is when we have this glorious prayer of Mary, now that she's seen Elizabeth pregnant, getting the affirmation from Elizabeth that all of this is of God. And I'm sure this was very encouraging to Mary. And Mary said, my soul soul exalts the Lord. What a beautiful thing. And may we be like Mary. May we exalt the Lord. 
and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Hallelujah. May we rejoice in God and our Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave, and very much appears that, you know, Joseph and Mary were just humble servants, followers of God, and and God had regard for her. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And she's beginning to see the magnificence of this all. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear him. That's us, by the way. Do you have an awe, fear, or reverence for God? His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in in their thoughts of their heart. May we be humble and in awe of God, but not proud in our own thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who are humble, like Mary and Joseph. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, in remembrance of his promise to Abraham, as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and his descendants forever. This was a fulfillment of God bringing blessing upon Abraham's family and now bringing forth this child from David's family. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home. Three months, wow. You know, and Mary, you know, had a controversial birth, by the way. And we knew we know from the book of Matthew that, you know, that kind of was something challenging for Joseph to have his wife get pregnant and she she may have wanted just to get away from her town for a while because she's looking like an adulterer or pregnant before she was married so she stayed with Elizabeth for a while now the time had come verse 57 for Elizabeth to give birth and she gave birth to a son her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her and they were rejoicing with her what a you know what a rejoicing that she had this child and it happened that on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father but his mother answered and said no indeed but he shall be called John so Zechariah probably wrote that down at this point to Elizabeth and they said to her there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. What a glorious thing that right at this time, the mute man now could speak and fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about and all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? And so this whole muting and then speaking of Zechariah just ended up bringing more and more glory to the whole situation, for the hand of the Lord was certainly with them. God is just all over this. God's miraculous work is just all over these two women, these two families, these births. It's just incredible. And his wife Zach, his and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So now he's prophesying, saying, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people." Perhaps he's even seen the redemption that's going to come through Jesus, and He has raised up a horn of salvation 
before us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant that God was going to bless Abraham, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So they're seeing, you know, even though they have had great hardship, the people of Israel, uh, you know, losing their country and, you know, now eventually being restored to at least come back, but they're seeing that this is still an extension of that Abrahamic promise. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days, in you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. Now he's speaking over his child, John the Baptist, because he's going to be a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, just as was promised when they told that they were going to get this child, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation. John the Baptist was going to prepare the way by the forgiveness of their sins. Now, the one who's going to do that is Jesus, John's cousin, coming on the heels of John the Baptist's preparation. And this is because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Hallelujah. And those are prophecies from Isaiah chapter 9 and chapter 59, that you know God is going to bring light upon those who are in darkness. And that is not only John the Baptist, but Jesus. Hallelujah. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And again, he had to grow up and mature John the Baptist. And then he took on his ministry of preparation. And Jesus ends up coming then and getting baptized by John the Baptist and beginning his ministry around the age of 30 as well. So all the glory, all all the miracles of the birth of of John the Baptist and were you know the preview of what's going to come in the birth of Jesus and the pregnancy of Mary. It's a glorious glorious thing and Luke is writing to give us the exact truth of what happened. God is a miracle worker and the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus is truly a special part of our faith. God bless you all.